Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. One of the most frightening realities is the truth that our words and actions are influencing our children, whether we know it or not. One preacher has said, everyone is making disciples. It's only a matter of what kind of disciples we are making. Today, in our effort to take seriously the importance of passing on our faith, we will examine the reality of a parent's influence and find that there are some key points for us to pay attention to as we seek to make godly disciples out of the next generation. Thanks for listening. Well, we are moving now to the middle of this series focusing on the epidemic that faces the church with the loss of our youngest, the generation that's coming of age in the teenage years right now, from about age 13 to, to 18, uh, they are sometimes referred to as Generation Z, um, and they are the ones of any demographic that are leaving the church faster than any other. I have another uh, statistic to begin our time with here to show you. This is done by Barna Research. You will see, once again, categories that are listed according to generations. So uh, the silent generation, sometimes called, or elders here, baby boomers, Gen Xers, millennials, and then Generation Z. And again, that makes up that 13 years old to about 18-year-old span, our our middle school to high schoolers. Uh, You'll notice the different colors up here are all identifying how these individuals would answer the question of their religious affiliation. Thankfully, the majority here in America are responding as Christian, and that the darker uh, orange color is representing uh, Catholic Christians. Below that, you have four others. Any other kind of faith? Agnostic, atheist, and none of the above. The color that I want to highlight to you, and it takes a little bit of time to digest a chart like this, so I just want you to focus in on one color, and that's the atheist color. An agnostic is a person who says, you know what, I I don't know if you can know there's a God. There's somebody who says the jury's out. I don't think anybody can know. But an atheist is somebody who says definitively there is no God. Uh, They will make the argument that they just believe in one less God than what you believe in. For we would all be atheists to many false pagan gods. Uh, It's a a false equivocation on that argument because the God of Scripture is nothing like Zeus or Jupiter or Dionysus or any other pagan god. Um, So it's a bit of a false equivocation, but it's the blue color that I want to highlight your attention to, specifically the Gen Zs. You'll notice if you can read the percentage markers up here that across the board, the percentages pretty much line up. Uh, There's not a lot of variance. In fact, if we just look at atheists, you'll see of the oldest generation, 6% declare to be atheists. It drops one for the baby boomers, but then goes up only one tick For the Gen Xers, millennials only go up one other percentage point. But do you see what happens when you get to the youngest generation? It doubles. In fact, this is what the article said. It said for Generation Z, atheist is no longer a dirty word. The percentage of teens who identify as such is double that of the general population. 13% versus 6% of all adults. The proportion that identifies as Christian likewise drops from generation to generation. Three out of four baby boomers are Protestant or Catholic Christians. That's 75%. And that's that's great. That's good news. While just three in five of 13 to 18-year-olds say that they are Christian. That's less than 60%. If you got these types of statistics anywhere else in the world, 
13% over there. If you, if you got that kind of data anywhere else, if you saw this in the stock market, people would begin to panic. If you saw this trend happen in any sort of business, you would enact all kinds of marketing campaigns to stem the bleeding or make it stop. The church must respond to this. Now, I'm fairly certain I've convinced you all of that. I, I, I find that the reminder is helpful, though. I, I find that once more having our, our minds connect with our hearts, that we would see this is what the raw data is showing, will become all the more potent in our lives to say, it's time, now is the time, for we will not be categorized with the rest that this generation of the youngest here that are listening to Lisa this morning would be the final generation. We will not be a, a statistic <clears throat> like the rest of the world might be because we have to make a change. I'm so grateful that Emily came up earlier with the reminder that even as you sign up on the clipboards, you can, you can have your kids partner with you. What an, important, uh, what an important aspect to have children following with their parents in service to the Lord. It's the best way to do it there is. And we have in our leadership for ministry here at Grace given the same challenge that across the board at our church, we <clears throat> together will seek to involve our children in serving here in our church. It's a, it's a, it's a tough screen to look at. It, it's difficult data, but I think together by God's grace, by God's grace, we will help to reach them and won't lose them. I was listening to the radio the other day. There was a song that came on. It's a song by Rodney Atkins. Uh, it's a, it, the, the title of it is Watching You. Here's what the first verse says. It says, driving through town, just my boy and me, with a happy meal in his booster seat, knowing that he couldn't have the toy until his nuggets were gone. That's our, that's our rule in our house, too. <clears throat> a green traffic light turned straight to red. I hit my brakes and I mumbled something under my breath. As fries went a-flying and his orange drink covered his lap, well, then my four-year-old said a four-letter word that started with an S. And I was concerned. And so I said, son, now where'd you learn to talk like that? He said, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, dad? I want to do everything you do. So... I've been watching you. I'm entitling uh, this particular Sunday, I'm watching you. And it's going to be a part one of two because we're going to, we're going to give <clears throat> dual attention to the aspect of <clears throat> excuse me, how we as parents serve as the primary mechanism God has designed for the discipleship of our kids. Can I repeat that? Can everybody hear me? That we as parents serve as the primary mechanism in God's design for the discipleship of our children. And the, the place where I want to give our attention to is that of influence. If the Rodney Atkins song really isn't your speed, if you're more of an old-timer, uh, there was a song by um, Neil Young. Old man, take a look at my life. I'm a, what's it called? I'm a lot like you. It's, it's interesting that you can look, even in the secular world, to understand this, is, this happens, this exists. Children grow up to follow right in the footsteps of their parents. And for good or bad, that is a reality in our lives. And I'm sure you as parents and even grandparents can identify many traits, both for the good decisions that you've made that your kids follow after you, and maybe some that you wish you could have corrected earlier in life. 
Well, I want us to, as a church, give attention, especially to how God has blessed us with so many young people, that we would focus on understanding our role as models to influence our children to pass on our faith and how crucial that is. Two weeks ago, we began with uh, step number one, quiz time. Y'all ready? What is step number one? It's prayer. That's right. And so we're going to continue with that. You never leave prayer. But it was last Sunday that before you and I have the opportunity to really impose anything over our children, we have to pay attention to the foundation of that design. And that is the marriage. Husbands and wives to make sure that they are making primary that relationship so the children understand uh, that they live in a home where they are subjected to the, to the authority of a mom and dad who they themselves fall under the authority of God. And so that was last Sunday. Today we're going to look at influence. Uh, it's just going to be a, a short message. I've only got two verses here. Matthew chapter 7, if you have your Bibles, I'd like to ask you to turn there with me. Page 1382 in the, in the Pew uh, Bibles. If, I would invite you to find one if you haven't brought a Bible from home. Please turn there with me. I'm just going to read uh, these two verses in Matthew 7 and then work through a few observations with three points of conclusion for us that we could carry God's truth into our lives today. Matthew 7, starting in verse 13. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. This tends to not be a very popular passage in many churches today. However, one that we must give our utmost attention. Jesus begins this understanding, this warning that he's, that he's giving. He begins with a command. I want to make sure that we don't uh, move beyond that. That you would understand this is not a suggestion. This isn't a guideline. This isn't if you feel like it. This is a command. First word is a verb. What's it say in your Bible? Enter. And then he gets very specific with where you need to focus on entering, through the narrow gate. After this, we have kind of a parallel picture of uh, symbolism that, that develops for us what I think are some lessons that we can learn. A few observations on the first one. The first part is a wide gate, and this means it's welcoming. So the gate is the place for any property to which you would enter. And if you had a wide gate, that means it was extremely welcoming. When I was on the mission field, we had a friend of ours that had uh, his house was way back at the end of a road and you could drive up and pretty much park anywhere. And then one day he decided to put up some gates. He, he made those gates just about as wide as his truck could fit through. And now you couldn't park anywhere. Now you had to you just squeeze your way in and it, the, you totally didn't have any room anymore. So a wide gate, it's like, come and find your spot anywhere you want. I want you to know that that is the perspective of the world. The world from the perspective of looking at your children has its arms wide open. There is no restriction on the part of the world to have your kids come to that side. That is a wide welcoming gate. Next, it moves beyond the gate and we focus on the road. And Jesus says the road is broad. That means it's easy to walk on. It's easy to travel down this road. You don't got to watch your step. Uh, You could be texting the whole way. I'm sure you could. No problem on a, on a wide road. You got a lot of margin to make sure you're not going to hit any sign. Uh, after this, not the gate, not the road, but we have the destination. And Jesus says uh, the end of this is destruction. 
this means it leads to God's judgment. Again, something that's not popular for us to hear, but the judge of the world is going to return. On that day, if you find yourself in the wrong direction, headed away from Jesus Christ, you can rest assured that you are still under condemnation because you are still in your sins. Now, again, I've said this many times, I'm not the judge, but the judge will come. And judgment will be in that day for those who have rejected God's offer, destruction. Lastly, you have the popular option as Jesus recounts that there are many on this road, many, many people on this road. There was one time I was flying back from the mission field and our, our flight got delayed, so it was extremely late. There was a problem with the airport. We were going to be landing in Charlotte, but the pilot said we have to divert to a different gate than normal. So even the regular travelers who would be going that were familiar with Charlotte were going to be at a different gate than what they were used to. Well, late at night, we get off the plane and we're deep deboarding. I was somewhere in the middle, so there were a lot of people ahead of me. But as we got off the plane, and if you've ever uh, deep deplane before you'll know that you got to make your way to the baggage carousel and whoever was the first in line was very confident to turn left thinking that was the right direction and guess what all the other little lemmings on the plane did <laughs> everybody else followed the same way and i myself found myself in that troop but but the airport was was empty there wasn't anywhere there so you couldn't tell by the logical flow of people what direction was the right one to go until we started seeing our own people coming back at us <laughs> And then I had to make my way, again, just around the corner to come back. How easy it is, folks. How easy it is to mistake that which you think is the light for actually being the rocky ground for which your ship will run aground on. You know what it's like? It's like a compass in the fog. That's what it's like. And you think you might be headed the right way. But be very careful, Jesus says. There's a lot of people headed that way. There's a lot of people headed on this road to destruction. He, he moves on to a second example. Now, this time, the small gate means it's one that takes effort to find. It takes effort to find. Well, you and I are given the encouragement from Scripture to seek the Lord while he may be found. All those who knock will be answered. Seek the Lord and he will find you. But you need to have a heart that looks for him. I want you to know that God has not hidden grace. He's made it wide open. In fact, it's just the opposite. When presented with the opportunity to be reconciled with the world, guess what the world did with that message? They rejected it. But it's not hidden by God. Yet it will find a foreignness to this world. And this is pretty easy to see. Anywhere that the values of Jesus Christ are highlighted, the world will seek to marginalize this. And so the warning here that Jesus gives is, hey, you need to pay attention. The gate is small that you need to look for. After this, talking about the road, he says the road is narrow. This means it's going to take intentionality to walk on a narrow road. A narrow road is one that it's easy to fall off of. You need to make sure you've got a level of skill and attention intentionality and care as you're going on a narrow road. When I was going to college in Ohio, none of the roads have shoulders. It's just fields. So you have a road and then like a five foot drop and then a field. Be very careful. There's no shoulder there. It's not a wide road. You need to pay attention. It gives a level of intentionality to be careful how you walk. Number three, he says it leads to life. Now you might recognize here my application of that is Pretty much the same as what it says. So I'm going to come back to that in a moment. There's more to be said on that. Let me come back to that one. And lastly, he says only a few find it. Essentially, this is not the popular option. 
That's Jesus' warning. If you find yourself in that minority, take good heart. That's where Jesus was found as well. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. And Jesus himself was rejected by the world. And so if you find yourself with a measure of rejection, you are in good company. For only a few find this path. My dad had a saying that I held on to into adulthood. He said, nothing that's worth doing is easy. Have you heard that before? Nothing that's worth doing is easy. It tends to be those things that aren't worth doing that are easy to do. So let me offer to you just a few conclusions as we seek to apply the pictures that Jesus gives us to obey the command to enter the narrow gate. Number one, as a conclusion, is this. As we're looking at the nature of the gate, I'm calling this the where. This is where we need to give our attention. If you are going to be a guide, I'm talking to parents, I'm talking to grandparents, I'm talking to the church. Remember, the focus here is us holding on to that last generation. If you are going to be a guide... You must first be familiar with the terrain. This means deepening your understanding of the rejection and the reception of Christ in our world today. You can't go into parenting. You can't go into being a loving grandparent or even a neighbor who knows this child needs to find the Lord. You can't go into that with naivety. You can't go into that with ignorance. You have to know what we're up against in this world. And I don't mean the things that are obvious. Of course, even your children, they're going to recognize things like pornography, things like gambling, things like cheating. Those are obvious, right? Here's where you need to be aware of the terrain. It's the little subtle things that will shift your child onto the wrong path for the gate is wide. Things like laziness, things like sloth. You know what that is? That's a devaluing of the time that your kids have. So many kids today wasting their time. And impressing upon them a training of their mind to devalue this thing that is so precious to them. Another thing is a devaluization of who they are. It's a focus on individualism. Kids today become self-centered. It's all about me and my way. How does that happen? Very subtly. Very simply. Through commercialism. Through materialism. We need to be aware of the terrain, church. We need to be very careful. If you remember two weeks ago... I shared with you a picture of a raft. Do you guys remember that? And in the current, it was the job of the guide to make sure that she pointed out where the terrain laid such that we would avoid the boulder. We didn't know. Your kids don't know. Your grandkids don't know. Thankfully, you have been ahead of them in life to have been made aware of the minefields that exist the traps and the snares that have been set for them. If you're not aware of the terrain, can you be a guide? Does everybody get this now? Everybody see this point? The gate is wide that leads to destruction. You need to be aware of where that gate lies so that you can help them avoid it. In fact, I want us to turn in our Bibles to the book of Proverbs very quickly. So hold your spot here in Matthew. Please turn back to the book of Proverbs. I'm going to read just a short little uh, portion here in chapter 7. Proverbs chapter Seven. I think will highlight for us really how the wrong path or the wide gate gets started on. <clears throat> Page 911 in the Pew Bibles, Proverbs chapter 11. I'm going to start reading in verse 6 just to invite you to please follow along. This is the word of the Lord. At the window of my house, 
I looked out through the lattice. A little background here. The writer here is talking about uh, folly being personified as an adulteress or a prostitute. All right, that's the picture. So, um, folly. Do you guys know what folly is? Oh, come on now. Yeah, you're, you're, you're preaching. You don't need to cover this. You guys know what foolishness is, right? We, we, we covered it. You know what this is, right? So um, that's being personified here as a, a, a wicked woman. That's the context. If you didn't know that, you might be confused in a moment. Okay, verse 6. At the window of my house, I looked out through the lattice. I saw among the simple. I noticed among the young men a youth who lacked judgment. He was going down near the street. Uh, she was going down the street near her corner walking along in the direction of her house at twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is loud and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, I have fellowship offerings at home. Today I fulfilled my vows. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you and have found you. I've covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I've perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deep of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He's taken his purse filled with money and he won't be home till full moon. With persuasive words, she led him astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. If you can remember the picture of that raft, where did the current begin that took us into the boulder? Was it right at the boulder? That path began way upriver. And we needed to make sure we stayed on the correct side. And it was very narrow where you could just catch that right current that kept you going away from destruction. But if you were even a little bit over that far back up the river, little by little by little, it surely would lead us straight to the boulder. Where did this young man get his trouble from? It wasn't at the threshold of the adulteress's house. That's not where his danger started. Did you see in the text? Did you catch it? It was way back at the street corner. He was in the wrong place, way down the road where he shouldn't have been. It was the wrong time of day either. Did you catch that? He said it was night. This is the time you shouldn't be out there. Y'all got this? Say amen if you got this. You got this? Amen. You, you need to, if you're going to be a guide, you need to be aware of the terrain. All right, secondly, let's move on from the gate. Let's look at the road. It's a broad road. I'm calling this the how because you have two pictures. One that's really easy, no problem to walk on the broad road. And then you have the narrow one that takes effort. If you are going to lead, you must first develop the skills that are needed to navigate in the right way. This means sharpening your biblical literacy and your devotional habits. My grandpa said to me once, do what I say, not what I do. That doesn't work. Do you know what you call somebody who says that? There's a word for it. It's called, a, it's called hypocrisy. Don't do what I do. You will not be able to pass on to your children what you as an adult recognize as the right way if you're unwilling to do it yourself. 
hopefully you can recognize this pattern devotionally. If you're not doing it, you expect your kids to do it. Reading your Bible, if you're not doing it, you expect your kids to do it. This is why it begins with us. We must first sharpen our skills in these areas if we expect it to travel down to our children. Let me ask you the question. With all this snowfall that we got lately, how much effort does it take to drift into a snowbank? Doesn't take much effort. All you got to do is look at your phone for one second. You could drift right into a snowbank. Let me ask you the question. Would you let your five-year-old drive? There should be a better resounding answer for that. I'm a little nervous. <laughs> would, would you let your five-year-old drive? No. no. And it seems obvious to the answer, right? Because they don't have the skills yet. They don't know how to do it yet. A couple other questions for you. Which is easier? <laughs> Parents, you can answer this one. Now. Which is easier? To buckle your kid in or to not let them wear their seatbelt? Which is easier? I didn't say which was best or which was right. Which is easier? It's clearly it's easier just to let them get in the car and don't even worry about it. How about if you're on the boat? Which is easier? To get them all strapped into that life vest with all of its astronaut buckles everywhere here and there, right? Or just don't even worry about a life vest? Which is easier? Don't worry about it. Would any of you leave that decision up to your kid? Would any of you say, get into the car, you can buckle up if you want to, if you feel like it. You can wear the life vest if you feel like it. Let me ask you another question. Which is easier, to come to church or not come to church? It's shocking to me as to how we think that such life-saving measures as wearing life vests or seatbelts would be required. We would never leave it up to them. Well, we'll see if they want to wear their seatbelt. We'll see if they decide. You wear your seatbelt could save your life. But sometimes we leave it up to our kids to decide if they want to come to church or not. And the data is staggering for what that has done. Now, coming to church will not save you, but it might. It might just be the place where you find conviction of sin in your life and you want to turn to Jesus. That might be the place where that happens. Seatbelt won't save your life, but it might. Life vest won't save your life, but it might. We need to make sure that what we are doing as parents is leading as an example for how our kids should follow us. This idea of the broad road versus the narrow road, there was a while back, if you traveled to Green Bay, they were doing construction. Do you guys remember this? About a year ago. It was when you got to the two lane, but then kind of headed into Green Bay proper over the bridge. They narrowed it down to one lane. You guys remember that? And on either side of the road, they put those big cement pylons. And I'm watching tractor trailers with centimeters on either side, right? I might have been kind of nodding a little bit driving to Green Bay. I don't know if you do ever. I got to turn the radio on or something to stay awake. But let me tell you this. When that road narrowed, I was wide awake, alert, because to travel on a narrow road takes a lot of skill, takes a lot of intentionality, takes a lot of effort. It won't happen by accident. It won't be easy. Jesus is not hiding anything from the church today. Wide is the road that leads to destruction. You know how many people are on that wide road texting today? All of them are. They got no problem staying on that road. Narrow, narrow is the road that leads to life. And there are few who are on it. We need to make sure that if we're going to lead, we have those skills of paying attention and really helping to offer to our kids, this is how you ought to 
embrace your faith because I practice it myself. All right, last one, the destination. And I'm calling this the who. So the first one we have, um, it leads to death. And then the second, it leads to life. Here's what I want you to know. If you're going to influence your children towards the right path, you must introduce them to Jesus. If you're going to influence your children on the right path that leads to life, life is not a destination. It's a person. Life is a person. I want to make sure I clarify something. Studying your Bible, coming to Bible study, all of that, it's great. It's really good. It doesn't make you any more righteous. It doesn't give you life in and of itself. Life is found in Jesus alone. In John chapter 17, recording Jesus's words, John says, this is eternal life. That's what Jesus says. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So if you want eternal life, who should you get to know? Yeah, you should get to know Jesus. I found, as I was preparing for this, three areas today where you can see Jesus. So if you lived back 2,000 years ago, you could travel to a lot of places, Capernaum, Nazareth, Bethlehem. You could travel to a place and see Jesus. But where are you going to go now if you want to see Jesus? If you want to introduce your kids to Jesus, three areas that I found with this. The first is the church. In the New Testament, we are told that the church is the body of Christ. What this means is you will see evidence of Jesus in a living, healthy, active church. Let your kids be plugged in that they would meet Jesus at church. The second place is in the word, the beginning of John's gospel. He says, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And so if you want to meet Jesus, you will find him in his word. And the third, it comes, uh, this comes from 1 John. He says, this is how we've come to know him because he has given us his spirit. That you can find Jesus by knowing his spirit. If you're going to influence your kids to the right path, all you can do is point them to life and introduce them to who Jesus is. Now, if you've ever had to, um, if you've been like me, if you've met somebody and then you forgot their name. Did that ever happened to you? And your wife's there and you're like, this is Betty. Uh, don't let that be what it's like with Jesus. Don't, don't let that be the moment where you're with your kids and, and well, I don't really quite know who this is. Is it, is it Jesus? Yeah, who's Jesus? Is that right? Do I have it right? Get to know him. Get to know him because it's your job as a parent to introduce your kids to life. And there's a ways that we can do that. Be aware of the terrain difference between a wide and a narrow gate understand the nature of the road it's going to take effort to stay on a narrow road and you might find yourself not filled with so many people because the rest of the world wants your kids to move a different direction here's what i want to give you for application as we wrap up what do you think it begins with what do you think the first thing i'm going to say is good begins with prayer Parents be on your knees. Grandparents be on your knees. This doesn't just, but hear me now, it doesn't just apply to parents, even if you don't have kids. You are part of the church, which means you are part of the body to represent Jesus to these kids. We all have a role to play in this. Here's what I really want to challenge you to, though. This requires a commitment on your part to influence your child towards Jesus. Commitment is the key word there. You should underline that. This requires a commitment. This doesn't happen by accident. Three ways from the text that you can do this. First, active involvement in your church, because you will see Jesus in the church. Regular family devotion and Bible study. I would love it, love it, love it 
if you would bring your kids to Bible study. It'd have to be the 7 o'clock one probably, otherwise you'd have to take them out of school. But I've been bringing my son. i got a couple of in you, you in here in Bible study, right? How, how is he doing? Yeah, he is, he is surprising me with his ability to know God's work. And do you know why? Because I make him come to Bible study with me every week. Now, where's uh, Gary Murray, too? I, uh, I kind of make them sit down, and Gary's asking a lot of really good questions, too. That would be awesome if you would study the Bible with your children. Thirdly, make sure you give an invitation for the Spirit's empowerment in their lives. And this is where we model it. You, you're not perfect. No parent's perfect. We know we're not perfect. I need the Spirit's help. You need the Spirit's help. We need to show that model to our kids that they need the Spirit's help as well. There's a second verse to Rodney Atkins' song, and I want to conclude and read to you uh, how the song ends. You might recall, right? Little boy said a four-letter word, right? Learning to talk like dad. Here's the second verse. We got home, and I went to the barn. I bowed my head, and I prayed real hard. I said, Lord... Please help me help my stupid self. Anyone else with me on that prayer? Have you ever been there? Been there. Then this side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, he crawled out of bed. He got down on his knees. He closed his little eyes. He folded his little hands. And he spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now where did you learn to pray like that? He said, I've been watching you. Dad, ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy pants and camp, cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do. So I've been watching you. Let's pray.